0: If you have God's word, we're going to a a passage in uh, the book of Romans, and I think this passage probably one of the reasons that I just feel a little extra oomph in my spirit, uh, because I just really love this passage in Romans uh, chapter five. Um, Before we we do begin, I I want to draw your attention to uh, this book. Uh, The book is called the, the The Church of Irresistible Influence. And, and this is really not connected with my message. I just, I just want to bring your attention to the book because it is what I am uh, leading my church board through. In fact, we have a board meeting tomorrow night and I've challenged my board members to read this book. In fact, uh, board members, if you've not picked your book up, it's out on the table out here. Uh, and there is a, there's a clipboard out there also uh, where you can sign your name and you can request for us to order you a book, and I'm not sure, maybe 10 bucks or something, I'm not sure what the price is, is from Zondervan. But it's The Church of Irresistible Influence, and I believe, uh, I believe that it will become very influential in our church. And so if you want to walk the same journey that our church board is walking, I want to invite you to get the book, The Church of Irresistible Influence by Robert Lewis, and uh, it has to do with the church, I believe, in Arkansas, Little Rock, that... Um, is really having quite an impact for the kingdom of God. And, and when you think about this, the idea of a church becoming irresistible, I mean, so irresistible that the community and the people begin to say, man, what, what, what's happening there? And so I believe that God is doing a deep work in us, and I want to invite you as the congregation to join the journey. So uh, put your name down on the clipboard out there, and let us order your book so that you can be a part of it. Um, as you well know, we have been in a series, um, living on inspiration and, you know, the first part of the series, I mean, how, you know, how do we have inspiration? Where do we get an inspiration? Well, the reminder was, is that we have a God that is mighty and powerful. Remember in sermon one, and that we have a God that will fight for you. We have a God that stands in the gap for us and and we find inspiration that God does not abandon us. He does not leave us. How many believe that this morning? Raise your hand. And then the second message, we talked about the mercy of God and that we have a God that is bountiful in his mercy and he wants to pour his mercy out upon us. And there's no question about that. And so we kind of brought that into focus last Sunday and this Sunday. We're going to talk about the love of God, about his love for us. And what a perfect verse for us to look at, to glance at, in regards to understanding the love of God. Because really this verse, it tells us about his character. I mean, when you think, think about it, and you're looking at the verse, it tells us something about his character. It, it tells us something about his attitude toward us. And then it tells us about his feelings, about his creation. And, and, and so therefore, I just love this passage. In fact, it's Romans chapter five and looking at verse eight. And it, it reads like this, but God demonstrates his own love for us. And that's key that we see the word own, his own love, because it's not disconnected from, there's no, you know, dichotomy here, God's love and Jesus' love. But as we read it, we see then this connection, this, this unseparable reality. Of God's love and Jesus' love. Because Christ, we understand Christ is now God that has become flesh. And so it's important that we look at the theologians, Romans 5, eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Precious Father, I, I thank you for the word today. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have just to be reminded that you are great. And your love is even greater. And I pray that, Father, for that one that has come into the sanctuary today, that they they would hear your voice, Lord, in between all the lines that's spoken here. That, Lord, it would be your voice that's whispering, your voice that we hear, and that, Lord, that your message would come through. So we thank you for the word. We pray your blessing upon it. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name. Amen. I want to begin a little bit differently. It's kind of an odd beginning for this verse, um, really, to make my point. And, and I want to begin with with a, a conversation or a really monologue about about the calendar. I mean, thinking about the calendar, just the regular church calendar, and and we understand that the church calendar it it it, it has a lot to do with governing our life. I mean, for some of us that are still in the workforce, right, we're putting everything on the calendar. And so all of a sudden now this calendar has control over us. And maybe there will be a day I get to retire and the calendar will not have as much influence over us. But I kind of bet that we'll have a bunch of grandkids. And so therefore, we're going to put a lot of things on the calendar. So anyhow, the calendar has some control over us. We understand that. And and in fact, the calendar can represent many things. Uh, I mean, think about it. The calendar can represent a fresh start. Right? The beginning of a new year. Our calendar begins in January, obviously, and so it can represent a fresh start. Or maybe the beginning of a new month, and you're saying, okay, at the beginning of a new month, I'm gonna start this, or I'm gonna, you know, not do this anymore. And so, you know, the calendar can represent a fresh start. The calendar can represent special days, like the day I better not ever forget, John, which is June 28th, (laughs) which is the day my wife and I got married. So we have these special days. Maybe it's your birthday or maybe some other special day that you've marked in your mind mentally on your mental calendar. Maybe the day that you launched your company. And so we have these special days that are represented by the calendar. Then also there is something else. There is the weight of the calendar. The weight of the calendar, because sometimes the calendar can represent tragedy. It can represent you know, the day that someone that you loved all your life passed. And so you are in the calendar and you recognize that that day is approaching and you feel the weight of that coming down on you because you're remembering that tragedy or you're remembering that passing. And so there is this cycle that happens in the season of life as we go through the calendar and we go through it. And then it cycles back around, kind of reminds me of a kind of like a a merry-go-round. My son and daughter-in-law sent us a picture of Riley, our granddaughter. You got to see a picture of her last week. And it was a picture of Riley Riding her first merry-go-round, <laughs> and she was sitting on one of those horses that go up and down. And our daughter-in-law was holding onto her on the horse there, and, and and so the merry-go-round was going around. And the calendar is just like that; it, it brings us around to different seasons in life, coming back and returning and being reminded in this cycle. And, and it is no accident then that we come to the Christian calendar. And in the Christian calendar, we have this cycle that is happening. In fact, there's an insert in the bulletin for you. If you want to look at your insert, we have this there in your bulletin so you can get a closer view of it. But looking at this this calendar here, this wheel that represents the Christian calendar, it represents the cycle of life, the experience of, of who God is as he's connected with humanity in fact, the Christian calendar, if you notice there in your insert, at, you can look at the insert or the screen here. You'll notice that the, the beginning of the church year is at the nine o'clock spot, right at nine o'clock, which is Advent. I think that's purple on that, that handout. But, but anyhow, it's Advent. And, of course, Advent represents something that we're getting ready for right now. And that, the, that is the four Sundays of anticipation. That's what Advent is. It's the four Sundays of t- anticipation, and we're getting ready to, you know, look at that. Let's go back to the Christian calendar. Pull that back up for me again. And then after that, we go to the, uh, of course, the, uh, the, the season of Christmas. And, and Christmas, yes, it is the birth of Christ that we remember. But, but even deeper than that, it is us acknowledging that God has come to us. When we say Christmas, yes, the birth of Christ. But we are acknowledging and we're being reminded that, that Christ, that God, has come to us. And that is a, a deeply emotional thing and spiritual thing as we remember that by the Christian calendar. And then, of course, after that, there is the epiphany we recognize on January 6th. And, and we remember that the wise men came to worship Jesus, you know, in the Christian calendar there in January. But there's something more than that. You see, the, the season... Of Epiphany also reminds us that, that Jesus Christ was baptized. We're we also reminded that, that Jesus performed his first miracle in that Cana of Galilee. And so the calendar, the Christian calendar, reminds us of this. And, and then we move uh, into Lent. And as we, excuse me, as we go to Lent then, we remember Jesus' trip to Jerusalem up on the mountain. And Jerusalem is up. We were just there. A few of us were there together. And the trip is up. And Jesus is on his trip or his journey to to Jerusalem. And so it's Lent that we begin this trip with our Savior and this trip that we are kind of introspective. And it's on this trip that that we begin to ask ourselves, how are we doing spiritually? And Lent is the process by which we begin this self-analysis. And that happens there on the Christian calendar. And then there is Easter, which is really a 50-day season, but it begins with the celebration of all celebrations, and that is Easter. I love Easter. As we continue to remember Jesus then in that season of Easter, which is 50 days, on the sixth Thursday, on the sixth Thursday of, of Easter then, we, we then celebrate the ascension, the ascension of, of Christ, and, and that is key, the ascension of Christ. Because it's not just that Jesus went to sit at the right hand of the Father, but it's in the ascension that Jesus he is promoted to having all authority and heaven of earth coming back upon his shoulders. Because Jesus, remember, left his omniscience in heaven when he became flesh. But then back in the ascension, as we recognize there in the Christian calendar, then the authority of heaven and earth comes upon his shoulders And then we look at the Christian calendar, we look at Pentecost, that's in red there at the three o'clock mark. And of course it's Pentecost, and when the Holy Spirit comes down, and the body of Christ receives the power of God. The very power of God through Christ and the Holy Spirit that comes in us, and the power of God that fills us. And the word we use sometimes is, is sanctification. And so that the power of God fills us and gives us the sanctified life that we might live a life to glorify our father in heaven. And then after the three o'clock mark, we move into the ordinary time. And let me just say this, Vic, about the ordinary time. It's anything but ordinary. Because in the ordinary time, we're learning about how to live for Christ and how to live out our faith in Christ in the doldrums of life and all the tediousness of life and all the hard times of life in the ordinary times. I mean, that's where the rubber hits the road. And we're learning how to live and glorify Christ in our life during those ordinary times. And so what am I saying? This was an odd way to begin. I understand that thinking of Romans you know, this verse in Romans. But, but I begin there because it's in the very cycle of life and in this, this calendar that points all the world to this verse. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is so cool. Because you see, the calendar is pointing to the story of God's love for us. That's what the calendar is doing. It's pointing to the fact that God loves us. And then each day and season, you can, you can take the calendar down now, but each day and season in the Christian year moves us through the main events in Jesus' life and ministry. But the Christian liturgical year, listen to this here. The Christian liturgical year is not merely a memory tool. It's deeper than that. It's not just a tool to, okay, Romano, this is what's happening now. But it's exactly what Paul reminds us in this passage, that we can live Jesus' story. That's where you fill in the blank there. You can live Jesus' story. I mean, each day we can be used by Jesus to cultivate discipleship. See, the calendar is saturated with God's love for us. Look at it. You have it there in your hand. The calendar is saturated with God's love for us. But God wants to saturate your life with his love. And so we have to transition from that to This he wants to saturate this with with his love. Just like just like an ultimate parent. I love the story. A a teacher asks a boy this question. Listen to this. A teacher asks a boy this question. Suppose your mother baked a pie and there were seven of you, your parents and five children. What part of the pie would you get? A sixth, replied the boy. I'm afraid you don't know your fraction, said the teacher. Remember, there are seven of you. Humbly, the boy respond, yes, teacher, but you don't know my mother. Mother would say she didn't want any pie. <laughs> she would say you can have my peace. That, that's, that's what God is like. I mean, that's what God is like when, when Jesus and when God became flesh and Jesus then said, you can have my life. You, you can have my life. You can have my peace because he loves us like that. In fact, we come to the passage and we remind ourselves the beginning of the passage. We read God demonstrates his love for us, saying that God makes good on his promise. Like the version that promises to pick you up, right? He's going to pick you up. They're going to pick you up at a certain time and they fulfill the promise and they pick you up. Or they say they're going to pay you back. You've loaned them something. They bring it back or you've loaned the money. They're going to pay you back. And, and so there's this faith building or this trust building that happens because they are doing what they promise. They are doing what they're promised. I mean, it's a big deal keeping your promise. I, I believe that. I remember, a, you know, one price I had to pay. I had to promised our children's department in Florida uh, that if you had so many kids, like a hundred kids in children's church this particular Sunday, and I've never done this. I'd never done it before. I was probably about 40 years old. I've never done it since. I don't think I'm going to do it again. Um, but I promised the kids that I'd swallow goldfish. <laughs> you know, I'd heard stories about people swallowing. And I said, I'll swallow goldfish. Oh, the kids got excited like the kids this morning. And they, they worked hard and worked hard. And they almost reached their goal. But they had already purchased a little goldfish in a plastic bag, and they're ready, and they almost reached their goal. I go, okay, I'll swallow it, and so in church. And the thing was, when they bring out the little baggie, you know, with water and the fish, you know what kind of goldfish they bought? One of those big fat ones with big bulbous eyes and a big fan tail. I mean, I'm telling you what, talk about chunky, okay? And and so, unfortunately, uh, it wasn't too big, but it was one of those big fat Fancy ones. And, and I swallowed the goldfish. I could feel it tickling all the way down. I kept my promise. When God demonstrates his love, he makes his promise good. He's making good on his promise, which is the very root of the atonement of Christ when God becomes flesh. And the atonement being the very act of that threefold act of the virgin birth. And, of course, the the crucifixion and the the resurrection of Christ, the atonement being that that act not outside of God, but the culmination, of the love of God and the love of Christ that's acting on our behalf. And that part, we've got to get that saying that God's love towards us. It's not opposed to that of Christ. It's it's not this human kind of love that's emotional or, or spontaneous, but man, it's a love that is the very characteristic of the being of God. I mean, that's what we got to get. It's the very being of God, the characteristic of who that being is, that God is love and that he loves us and he demonstrates that love. You see, he's keeping his promise. He's saying the kind of love to answer the question of God's love. Here's how it makes sense. In fact, I have this in bold print. I have this in bold print. I think we have it up here for you. But we see Christ's love by his death. Look at that with me. We see Christ's love by his death. And we see God's love because of Christ. That's good theology. <laughs> right, Dr. Smith? That, that's good theology. That, that's how, how we know. Christ. Who first loved us so much that he gives his life for us. You can have my life. You can have my peace. That's what Jesus does. Jesus makes that kind of sacrificial love for us. And as I'm listening here to the worship and I'm just sensing the presence of God, I was just overwhelmed with this reality that Jesus... He makes that sacrifice for us because he loves us and we forget that and we become, you know, kind of almost, you know, just static, almost still. and we forgetting that, that Jesus loves us so much. He said, here you can have my life. Jesus loved us first. Jesus loved us most. <laughs> and by the way, Jesus will love us last. And when we're all muddled up and when things are dark and when we're failing God and when there is sin that is rampant or or just life is messed up, here's the good news that God's prevenient grace is working on our behalf before we ever respond to him. And his love is enough. I believe that Jesus love is enough. And the fact is, Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you this morning. I mean, if there's anything that you hear, I want this to resonate in your mind that Jesus loves you today. Like we were saying to the children today. I mean, so simple. It's not that profound. When you think about this idea, I mean, well, how much does Jesus love us? Well, he loves us. He loves you. It's not profound. I I don't do this very often. or I don't think I've ever done it here. But I want to share some responses from children with you. About their understanding of love or an example of love. In fact, I think we have them on the screen one at a time. Here's the first one. Here's Rebecca, age eight. This is kids understanding love. When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis, too. That's love. (laughs) Here's another one from a kid. Chrissy, age six. Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. Now, wait a minute. Pause right I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Uh-uh. No, you can't have any of my fries. If they're McDonald's fries, no one. I don't share my fries. Okay, next one. Uh, Terry, age four. Love is what makes you smile when you're tired. <laughs> That's so sweet. Yeah, next one. Love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is OK. <laughs> Heidi does that, too. OK, look at the next one. Noel, love is when you tell a guy you'd like his shirt, then he wears it every day. <laughs> Hold on that one for just a moment. He wears it every day. I I remember I had a girl tell me one time in third grade that I can't remember how she said it, but something about I looked good or cool or something. When I had taken my shirt off, I just had my T-shirt on. Well, I remember third grade, I wore just a T-shirt the rest of the year. (laughs) I mean, we're so influenced. Okay, here's the next one. Love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. (laughs) Okay, the last one. If you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. Simple. (laughs) So profound. Simple. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you, Brian. It's simple. In fact, we go to the last part of the verse. You see, Jesus demonstrates his love. He fulfills his promise. In the last part, he died for you. He died for you. How long has it been since we've allowed that to settle in? to remember, to know, to feel, to internalize that Jesus died for you. Let's bow our heads. Precious Father in Heaven, today we are reminded of such a simple truth. This is our inspiration. We're talking about living on inspiration. Lord, You, you, Your love for us, it's our inspiration. And I pray that, Father, that You would Lord, inspire that one, that one that has forgotten how much you love them. I pray that you'd inspire that that young lady that's trying to make decisions in life. And it's stressed her out. But she's, Lord, now being reminded that in spite of how life turns out, it's going to be okay because you love us. Your love is sufficient. I pray for that couple that is trying to make ends meet and deal with their economics. But now they're reminded that you love them, that your love is sufficient. I pray for the one this morning right now that's forgotten this. Or maybe the one that's never heard it quite told in this way, that you love them, that you died for them. And I pray for that one right now that is just hearing your voice and that you would, Lord, speak to that one and they would just say, yes, Jesus, I receive your love this morning. So I want to invite you just as you're praying and your head's bowed and just between you and Jesus, not the pastor, just you and Jesus. And you're saying, Jesus, I hear your voice. I'm being reminded you love me, Jesus. I receive that love. Just whisper that to Jesus right now. Whisper that, Jesus, I receive your love. I want your love in my life. I choose that, Father, for myself. Because I know, God, that you love me first, you love me most, and you will love me last. And I pray for that one right now that's whispering that prayer. And that, Lord, that you'd bring that work to completion in their life, in their heart, right now. You're praying that way. Just lift your hand. Just lift your hand right there where you're at. Saying, Lord, I'm praying. I'm receiving your love right now. Jesus, I'm receiving your love right now. Just lift your hand right there where you're at. Just between you and the Lord. Lord, won't you see my hand? Lord, I'm receiving your love right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for hearing my voice. Thank you, God, for hearing this prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the mighty God that you are. So, Lord, we just worship you. We praise your holy name. And we sing hallelujah. Because of the work that you've already done on our behalf. Thank you, Father, for first loving us. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.